Hello and welcome to UK Life Abroad. With both Australia and Canada's census season approaching, we take a look at the results of the 2016 census in both countries. We also dive into the history of Ukrainian migration to both Canada and Australia. This and more on Zakhardonyi Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. So before we jump into the main part of the episode, I thought it'd be fun to discuss um, Ukraine's recent performance in Eurovision. So I should note, whilst we are recording, um, Ukraine has just performed in semi-final one and progressed into the finals of Eurovision. So do you guys watch any of the recap? Uh, I did not. However, um, I'm just happy my favorite one is in there. So Iceland? No. Which one? Italy. Italy. Oh, yeah, so, usually you're an Iceland fan. It's about the music, not the country. So <laughs> it's Eurovision, mate. Come on. Um, but yeah, no, I I saw their performance and I was like, oh, it look, looks pretty cool. But yeah, I don't know. Just didn't watch it. Andre. Oh, like we already had like, uh, sorry, we already talked about this before. And I think I mentioned that I stopped watching it recently. But um, Alexa showed me like some of the, some of the countries and Ukraine had a pretty good one, and um, Italy had a good one as well. So I like those two. Yeah, what I liked about this year's Eurovision was that a lot of the countries are now singing more in their native language, um, which was quite good. And so Goa is like the first band to sing fully in Ukrainian in Eurovision, which I thought was quite a positive. And Ukraine continued its streak of always making it into the grand finals australia which was the only other country to have this streak didn't make it into the finals so now you know i totally forgot australia was in it yep (laughs) Yep. so now ukraine is the only country in eurovision history to have made it into the final every single time it's performed at eurovision which i think is quite a good the best (laughs) do you think like australia is going to last in Eurovision, because I know there was all this excitement about Australia should come in because it's so popular in Australia, and Australia did join, and you had, like, Guy Sebastian and Dami and whatever and all these famous Australians and Jessica Malboy. And I think now that the... Uh, oh, the fact we didn't make it into a final, you reckon people get over it? Yeah, I think the hype of Australia being in it might have died away, so... I think there's a couple more years left before, um, before like, the, like you even consider... Australia dropping out. What even happens when we win? If we I win. Think, I think uh, they were like last time they did it and they got to the finals, I think um, that was the time when Ukraine won, right, where Russia. Australia came second. Yeah, yeah, where Russia and um, Australia got first and third. Um, no, first and, yeah, first and third in terms of points for um, the two voting systems, but then like Ukraine got second consistent, so. That's it won you, overall. Yeah. Um, I think when that was happening, I think Australia said that they were going to give it up to second place, I think it was. Or that just might be me making sense. No, I think there was something like that, that Australia would give Yeah, they'd give up, up their place to someone else. I but I think that. they'd be involved in hosting or something. Mm. Probably, yeah. But yeah, it'd be kind of insane to move a whole European competition to Australia. I know. And <laughs> like it would make more sense for Australia to join... What's the uh, Asia Vision? Yeah, like something I close feel to like us. We'd be so outclassed. <laughs> yeah, but still, maybe do like Oceania Vision or something. 
Shakawai in there or something. But yeah, so I think good on Ukraine, and we cheer for them in the finals. They are in the top five favorites to win, so they're with um, Italy, Malta, Ukraine, and what's the? Other? There's one other country that's in that top five. Norway, not Norway. I don't know. So yeah, so good luck to them, and good luck to all the other countries, and may the best song win. I say. <laughs> subtle bias there and now we move into the main part of the episode which is ukrainian life abroad correction yuki life abroad <laughs> <laughs> so the reason this um episode came about is because both australia and canada are holding their it wouldn't be annual census but it's census season in those two countries yeah half decade i don't know yeah it's just good and so we thought it'd be quite interesting to look at censuses in general and why they're so important or censusy sensei or it's a latin term so we'll find out (laughs) um so yeah so whilst a census is mainly associated with the counting of a country's population it is also quite often used in agriculture, and I'm assuming that's to count livestock heads and how like farmers are doing in general. And it is, it's not a modern invention, as some people may believe. It is actually quite an ancient one. And there are examples from ancient Egypt of um, locals reporting to the governor about their place of residence and their work. So then the governor could report to the pharaoh and this policy was continued even after Alexander the Great um, took over Egypt. Then you've got in ancient Israel. So one of the books of the Bible is actually named after a census. It's called the Book of Numbers. And, oh, okay. And cool. so they're mentioned in the Bible. And apparently God commands a per capita tax to be paid with the census for the upkeep of the tabernacle, which is what held the... Um, Ten Commandments. Ah, okay. Yeah. And so there's even records of um, a census occurring during the exodus from Egypt. Well, I think, I guess it makes sense, like, regardless of how far we've come in human history, even going back all those thousands of years, it's important for any government at the time, whether it's ancient or modern, to keep track of its citizens and how many citizens it has and where they live and all that fun. Yeah, who's working in what jobs and whatnot. So one of the earliest preserved censuses that we still have access to was conducted in China during the um, 2 AD, during the Han Dynasty. And um, scholars reckon that the census is quite accurate. And so according to that census, there were 57,671,400 individuals living in the in the Middle Kingdom with about 12 million households. That's um, crazy. That's pretty cool. And so, as I said at the start, the word census is of Latin origin and was used during the Roman Republic to keep track of all adult males fit for military service. And as hmm. we know, like the Roman army was one of Rome's most important institutions, so quite important that they know how many able-bodied men they'd have yeah Mm. true find out if anyone's like slacking yeah slacking on the empire (laughs) (laughs) so and then as another fun fact i thought we could talk about the ukrainian census Zelensky's census 
Um, His unofficial census poll. Yeah, so uh, the first year of Zelensky's presidency, they held an unofficial census where they used apparently the amount of bank accounts and phone accounts in Ukraine to give a rough estimate of the population. And they, you know, widely publicized it. However, Ukraine state statistics service refused to use it and has continued to rely on its estimates. But um, when was the first Ukrainian census held? So the first one in Ukraine was held in, sorry, it was held on December 5th, 2001. And that was 12 years after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And um, for the past 19 years, they haven't had a census since then. So it's There's only just, ever been one all Ukrainian census. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's all just like guesstimating and how many numbers, um, how many citizens they have. So Originally, they were meant to have one in 2020, but uh, everyone knows about the whole COVID thing messing it up for everyone. So the Minister of the Cabinet of Ministers confirmed that 2020 would not have the census and neither would 2021, but um, said that the next uh, census would be planned for 2023. I love his quote, though, and it's like, um, a census is an expensive pleasure. Hmm. And I feel like a census is like a core function of government. I don't think it's something that's like Pledge. You, you splurge on. It'd be like if you were upgrading infrastructure that didn't need upgrading. I feel that would be an expensive pleasure. That's very interesting. Or building like, you know, government-owned ski resorts. That's an expensive pleasure, not counting how many people are in your country. I guess maybe from his perspective, it's kind of like, Oh, we we know this is just pure speculation. I have no <laughs> idea anything about this guy, but maybe he's thinking like, "Oh, we know what we're doing here, you know, up in the government." So doing the census is just a pleasure. You know, it's probably not going to change much of the way. I that. think it's more the whole. He's relying a lot on the mathematical side about how many they can assume. So, like, the obviously you can take like bank accounts and like phone numbers and registered. Like pensioners, uh, pensioners and births and deaths and stuff. So I think there's a lot of like estimating um, based on those factors and considering um, how many people have left the country to work or to um, immigrate out. Yeah, but see, that stuff's important, not just a pleasure. Like you need to know where you need to build infrastructure, which yeah. cities are growing and whatnot. Yeah, because um. My other theory is is that no Ukrainian government wants to admit how many people have moved overseas. <laughs> and because um, I know, like, according to the 2001 census, like, a large chunk of Ukraine's population lived in eastern Ukraine because it was the more urbanized section of the country. And maybe they don't want to admit that western Ukraine has a higher population, has a more significant part of the population now than it did before. I don't see how that would be an issue, though. Because then you'd have to build all this infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. You need to know, like, oh, this... Um... And also, like, the amount of seats in parliament might have to change because uh... you'd have to have more MPs from other parts of the country. Do you reckon they're just holding off because of that? I don't know. It's all speculation. It's all speculation, but, you know... Because, like, you know, we'll hold the census. Let's do an interview one day. <laughs> <laughs> Get some solid answers. 
Um, so now let's um, move on to the two countries that we're going to focus on today. So let's cover Australia because it's slightly easier for us to talk about. Yes, and we are here, so we know a little bit about it. Did you guys vote in the last... Vote. <laughs> Did you guys participate in the last census? Um, well, the census is compulsory in Australia, just like voting, so you don't really have much of a choice. I know, but my let me be more specific. Were you actually there... Did you like? Did your family do it together? I sat with Tata as we did it. Did you do it? Were you there, Andre? No, I, I completely missed out on doing it. Oh, we I saw the envelope on the uh, on the table. That was about it. Oh yeah, because we still got a paper one. We didn't do it online. Yeah, same. We always do it like we could, not to make make a big deal out of it, but we kind of like just sit down at the table. And we're like, how should we respond to this one? What do you oh think yeah, hundred percent. Tata was like, how do you interpret this question? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. A lot of that as well. What okay. is your nationality? Uh... That was a tough one. <laughs> so here in Australia, we do a census every five years. So our last one, well, we have one coming up this year in October, isn't it? Oh no, August. Because I know they started the like the testing for the different the, for for the census last year. Um, and our previous one was obviously five years ago in 2016. So this is the data that I'm going to talk about. Most of this is coming from 2016's census. Now, uh, the, this comes from the Community Information Survey, uh, which is from the Department of Home Affairs here in Australia. So it's right from the source. So let's have a look first. Uh, it starts off with a historical background. So the one of the first Ukrainians it mentions was a guy by the name of uh, Mikhailo Hrub, and he was a soldier in the Austrian army who was from the western part of Ukraina when it was part of the Austrian Empire. And in the 1860s, Hrub sailed to Australia where he established a sheep farm. So, yeah, it's going all the way back now. I wonder if um, they called themselves, like, Ukrainian in the census. That's my question. Or, like, they, I know they, uh, like, in Europe, they differentiate themselves from being, like, Polish. Yeah, so stuff. in the 1954 census, which is like the first one with a heap ton of um, uh, Ukrainians, sorry, they they do have a section there for Ukrainians, and it's the same way. Like when I look at my Bubba's um, passport, or and for uh, her like her passport and her work permit thing when that she got here, um, it does list her as Ukrainian because she identifies as a Ukrainian national. Mm. Kind of in the same way oh. a Kurd can write Kurdish, even though they don't have a country. My favourite historical Australian-Ukrainian is Makola Maklucha Maklay, and he was a biologist from Ukraine, and he settled um, in northern uh, Queensland, but his focus was on documenting the indigenous residents of Papua New Guinea, and hmm. he would go and live with the tribes and so, like, obviously, this being the 1800s, he was probably one of the first Europeans to ever contact these tribes, and he would sit down and record their culture. That's pretty cool. And he was responsible for establishing the first biological laboratory in the Southern Hemisphere in Ukraine. Uh -huh. In Australia, I mean. Yeah, okay, cool. Ah. Um, and he uh, was quite progressive for his time and actively fought against the idea that um, different races developed from different ancestors and he argued that humanity shared a common ancestor ah, forward thinking. way ahead of yeah this time. damn all right cool so around the time of world war one up to five thousand ukrainians were believed to have arrived in australia before world war one along with a large group of russians as well 
And many of them actually lived in Brisbane, which is where they were politically active back around, uh, you know, these 1918 and before. So that'd be interesting, like going to a Ukrainian Hromada, like even pre-World War One, like before like Ukraine had ever declared independence. Like I wonder what that would be like. Yeah, I think it'd be kind of like that. Maybe like a Petlura kind of. Well, this is even pre-Petlura. I know, but do you know how like you had the um, like the how they would have run organizations and stuff around that time. There'd be a lot of that kind of stuff. And I, I think back like, oh man, those Hromada meetings in the sixties must have been so hard with like <laughs> typewriters and whatnot. And you're talking about like pencil and paper minutes probably and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, no, that would have been interesting. Uh, so. Then following World War II, the Ukrainians from the displaced persons camps in Europe arri- arrived here in 1948, or started arriving here in 1948. Uh, they came to Australia on assisted passages, which included a two-year work contract with the Australian government. So my Baba and Jidor were in Bonigila migrant camp, kind of on the border of Victoria and uh, New South Wales, and they were on that uh, work program as well yeah Prajido, that's how he came to australia he almost went to america but then when he found out australia was more generous he changed his mind well my Jido thought that he was mm. going to austria not australia <laughs> <laughs> and then now that i think back i'm like austria doesn't have any water water <laughs> where was he going <laughs> but anyway um so then that was where a vast majority of um ukrainians started arriving and among the migrants, they had priests, lawyers, doctors, engineers, but the vast majority of them were people from rural backgrounds. Which makes sense. Yeah, does make sense. Uh, so now we get to the 1954 census, and here's where we start getting into the numbers. So in 1954, after we had this mass migration of Ukrainians post-World War II, there, it was recorded that there were 14,757 Ukrainian-born Ukrainians in Australia. And after that, the number of migrants from the Soviet Union, our Soviet Ukraine, was then negligible, uh, apart well, from a few Ukrainian really Jews. <laughs> yes, and then that's why it mentions a few Ukrainian Jews because they were obviously trying to get out of there. Um, so going on from there, um, immigration then picked up against again one uh, in 1991 after the independence of Ukraine and the fall of the Soviet Union and that's where we had more skilled uh, laborers coming over here as well now this is where it gets interesting 2016 census it was recorded that there are 13,366 Ukrainian born Ukrainians here in Australia pretty well, it's a pretty consistent number, even after 54 years. True, except it's actually a decrease of 4.5% from the 2011 census, five years before that. So I thought that was interesting. Well, if my maths is correct here, it should be that there were 18,712 around that in 2011 Ukrainian-born people here in Australia, and now it's 13,366 Ukrainian-born people here in Australia. But, so how many people claim Ukrainian ancestry then? Because I think that's quite important to state. Yeah, well, we'll get to that um, later. There's a whole section I have on ancestry here. (laughs) Um, But I think the part I want to go to now is uh, state distribution. So, just like last time, I have a bit of a quiz for you guys. Hmm. Which state do you think has the most Ukrainians? Victoria? It is Victoria with 39.8%. Okay. And of then Ukrainian born. Ukrainian born. Yes. We've got to be specific well, it's here. Logical. I'm assuming New South Wales are second because we're the two biggest states. 
Uh, yes, New South Wales is 36.1, so very, very close. Who do you think is third? Perth or Brisbane? Sorry, Perth or Queensland? So Western Australia or yeah. Queensland? Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'd hazard maybe South Australia. Or... No, okay, so it is Queensland, 9.3%. There's 1, 000, in 2016, there were 1,248 uh, Ukrainian-born people in Queensland, uh, then followed by South Australia with 7%, then followed by Western Australia with 5.5%, and then it goes to ACT, 1.4%, uh, Tasmania, 0.7%, and lastly, Northern Territory with 0.2%. So that apparently, is not surprising at all that Northern Territory has no one living there. <laughs> well, apparently it has 33 Ukrainian-born people in but the Northern Territory, so there you go. Considering it's so small that it might be down to one electorate if they don't do anything to protect it, I'm not surprised. Yeah, true. But still, 33 Ukrainians, it's... Ukrainian-born. Ukrainian-born people. Let's, let's get them enrolled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but going back to what you said, Alexa, uh, ancestry. So out of these Ukrainian-born people that arrived here, 8,964 uh, report that they are of Ukrainian heritage. 3,686 say that they are of Russian ancestry or heritage. And 1,526 uh, claim Jewish uh, ancestry or heritage. And then after that, it breaks down uh, 8.1% say other, and then 1.9% actually claim Polish heritage. So I'm assuming, obviously, that's going to be Western Ukraina on that border there. But of the total ancestry responses of all, so this is not just Ukrainian-born, but uh, all uh, Ukrainian uh People living in Australia, there are 46,186 who claim uh, Ukrainian ancestry. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, almost 50,000. Re- do you reckon we'll have over 50,000 in 2021? I'm going to say no because of COVID. I feel like some people might have gone back. Mm. So I, I think it might actually drop. Like we know someone who went back. Oh. Okay. Um, or hopefully it stays about the same then. <laughs> yeah. So then moving on to language. Uh, so we've got language, then religion. Now, of the languages spoken at home. Is this going to be controversial, Nathan? Of course it's going to be controversial. <laughs> um, of Ukrainian-born people living in Australia, 56% claim uh, say that they speak Russian at home. 24% say that they speak Ukrainian. 14% are English. other language, and then 0.8% Polish. So there you go. Russian is the most common language of Ukrainian-born people. Maybe this is all the immigrants, like, that came after independence were from eastern Ukraine. Probably. Because I don't think the people from the displaced camps would have spoken Russian. No, no. no. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is is all because of the influx since uh, uh, 1991, when there was that second boost. And then last one, religion. So, out of all the Ukrainian-born people living in Australia, what do you think is the number one religion? No looking. Oh, he's looking over there. Oh. Andre, what do you think is the number one religion? Um, what, Greek Catholic? It is no religion. 25% claim no religion. But, yeah. We should, yeah. Then uh, the next one is then Eastern Orthodox with 24%. Then Judaism, 18%. Catholic, 12%. And then uh, other forms of Christian, 9%, and other religions, 53 Well, it makes sense that Eastern Orthodox would be the highest 
um, religion from people born in Ukraine because it is the most dominant religion. True, but I thought it was interesting that there's more Ukrainian-born Jews here than there are Ukrainian-born Catholics. Um, I know, like Mama and Tata were saying, when they were leaving the Soviet Union in the like late 90s, that there was a lot of Jews fleeing because the Soviet Union was allowing them to emigrate to Israel. So, obviously, some of them made it to here. Mm. And then, obviously, like Catholic, because it's Western Ukraine, it's a smaller minority. Yeah, true. It's a shame that they don't publish um, people who have Ukrainian ancestry, because I feel the numbers would skew slightly differently. As in, like, with language and stuff like that? Well, with language and also with religion, because I feel um, like the Catholic slice of the pie might be a little higher. Do you think the Jewish slice would shrink? Um, because you might. I I don't think it would. I think it's still. I think it would get slightly smaller, but I don't think it. I think it'd still be bigger than like other religion and Christian non-defined. I still feel it'd be the third biggest religion. But I think non-religion would actually grow because a lot of Australians are. Yeah, they're more. Yeah, yeah. So then you'd have. Well, I think it's. I think it'd be tying with Eastern Orthodox. Hmm. So that is Australia as of 2016. So we'll see what happens in 2021 and we'll keep you guys posted. So just like Australia, Canada also has a census every five years and releasing their data um, two years later. The first census that ever took place in Canada was in 1871, but the very first one to be uh, where Canada is today was taking place in 1666 in New France. In that census, they took the age, sex, marital status, and occupation of 3,215 inhabitants living in New France. So, quite a long time ago to when have a census. Australia's first census, Nathan? 18-something, I think. It's like 1828. Oh, so they actually had go. it um, earlier than Canada did in 1871. But I'm assuming that was for New South Wales. Yes, yes, yes. But it's not as good as uh, 2 AD for China. (laughs) (laughs) Can't compete with them. So there were unconfirmed settlements before 1891, but um, generally the first wave of Ukrainians to arrive in Canada was between 1891 to 1914. And the very first um, Ukrainian to arrive in Canada was Ivan Pelepov. And he, um, he arrived bringing several families over in 1892, and he established the Edna Star Settlement in East Edmonton. Do you reckon he knew he was the first Ukrainian to be there, and he was just like, but yeah, no. first one here? <laughs> Probably not, because you might be like, yeah, but maybe someone else was here. And besides, what year was this, Andre? sorry? Um, it was 1892. Okay, he's probably more focused on, like, how do I not die in this <laughs> Wild West? <laughs> well, he he heard about um, freelance in Canada from his German neighbours, and so he told uh, his classmates... Multicultural uh, His former cla- classmate uh, about it, and him and his mates moved to Canada. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's a bougie photo of him on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, nec- uh, the second wave came between 1923 and 1939, and then this was a lot more workers and settlers and professionals that came. And then during the third wave between 1945 and 52, you had a lot of workers and professionals again, but also political refugees from the Soviet Union coming in. 
um, towards the end, uh, so after after fifty nine, it sort of it got a lot harder to get ex- exit visas in the Soviet Union. So um, a lot less uh, Ukrainians moved to Canada during that time. So like similar in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, during the fourth wave uh, is the independence of Ukraine. And so this is um, a lot of the immigrants uh, coming now, they've left due to corruption and the dismantlement of some social services, low uh, low paying employment and loss of job in Ukraine. So it's a lot more economical reasons rather than political now. Quite interesting that um, there's that similarity like after 91, it picks up again, and then it drops off after World War II, and it's the the, the impact of like Soviet um, immigration policy has the same impact on immigration to these two countries. On opposite sides of the planet. Yeah. yeah. No. Mm. Although I'm sure if you look at like neighboring Soviet countries. It sort uh, of be the same thing. I think it? it might be different because you might have people sneaking across the border as opposed like no one's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to sneak off to Canada. I think you might try and, like, if you were going to sneak off out of the Soviet Union, you would try and get to, like, I'm sure Jews would try and get to Israel, or you would try and get someplace close and then stay there. Maybe Germany or something. True. But that's a theory. We could always move on from Germany afterwards. True that. Yeah. In Canada, there is almost 1.4 million Ukrainians by ancestry in the 2016 census, making them the 11th largest ethnic group and giving Canada the third largest Ukrainian population other than Ukraine and Russia. You know what's crazy? That is, it was 1.4, you said? Mm-hmm. Almost, yeah. That is almost the size of South Australia. Really? South Australia has 1.6 million people living in it. Jeez. It's crazy. <laughs> Far out. Or it's the equivalent of more than two Tasmanias <laughs> for our Australian <laughs> listeners. Far out. That's a lot of Ukrainians in one country. So... Like like Australia, only a small percentage actually speak Ukrainian as their mother, uh, have Ukrainian as their mother tongue, with um, only 7.5% in the t- as of the 2016. So that's um, 111,000 Ukrainians. As that's of still today. a lot of Ukrainians, though. Yeah. Raw but numbers. I th- but I think the proportion's yeah. like... Small. Yeah. yeah. So in today... Uh, a lot of Ukrainians live in Manitoba with 14.5%, Saskatchewan with 134 Alberta with 9.3%, Yukon 63 and British Columbia at 5%. The first three, they're all the prairie provinces, aren't they? Uh, I believe so. So that's where all the big fields are. And the churches? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so during the first... the bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> so during the first... Um, during the first... Uh, wave of Ukrainians coming in. Clifford Sifton, Canada's Minister of the Interior, he stated this quote, I think that a stalwart peasant in a sheepskin coat born to the soil whose forefathers have been farmers for 10 generations with a stout wife and half a dozen children is good quality. And he was referencing to the Ukrainian and Eastern immigrants coming to Canada who were not from uh, the UK, the US, Scandinavia, Iceland, France or Germany. It's almost like he's describing hutzels because of like the sheepskin coats. Pretty much, yeah. So he viewed them as um, good for populating Canada's prairies. Mm. So he supported um, Ukrainians coming in when others would have been um, 
against them coming in. So where do the most, what city has the most Ukrainians living in it? So the biggest city, uh, sorry, the city with the biggest population of Ukrainians is Winnipeg at 98,860. And um, then comes Edmonton with 93,000, Vancouver with 84,000, and Calgary, 81,000. Toronto's also up there at 64, and Saskatchewan's 35,000. So these are a lot bigger than what Australia has all together, though. (laughs) (laughs) Considering that um, Saskatchewan has, I think, uh, is it the same amount of Ukrainians? Well, there's 50,000 Ukrainians almost in Australia. 50,000. So that's more closer to Toronto at 64, which is crazy considering that all of Australia, all of Ukrainian Australians could fit into Toronto. Well, yeah, we're less than 50,000. But yeah. I just was jumping back to your point about, or when you mentioned that the um, they use them to uh, settle the prairies. I don't know if that's kind of. I don't know, the feeling I get from that is kind of like we don't want to settle these or well, what they considered uncharted areas of Canada. So let's get a bunch of immigrants in and send them off into the uncharted areas and see what happens. I feel like, look, it's good that Ukrainians got there. I just want to listen. To, when I hear that, I feel like, yeah, that's kind of putting them out there as like a, a test subjects to see what happens. I know when we, like when I went to Winnipeg with Mama and Tato for a wedding, the Ukrainian wedding, we went to like a museum and they showed us how like the pioneers lived. And it was like, you were given a field and the government was like, here's your width. And it's like, you can go as far as you want that way up north. And um, that's your land. And so on the sign, they were like, the you'd have the husband and wife like cutting down trees because if it was forested, and then the kids would be going through the field and picking up all the rocks hmm. to like clear it so you could plow it. And I'm just like, that's crazy. I'm like, do you imagine just being like the the salesman is like, everything that way is yours. Everything. You can't <laughs> even see it. Reminds me of um you know the game Oregon Trail. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like everyone dies on the trail and stuff like that. You'd have to be pretty hardy though. And then when you like when we did the episode on Ukrainian churches and you see all the photos of like these abandoned Sedkvare in the middle of fields now and i'm um and you think like that used to be like a thriving community so there's been ukrainian history in canada so long that you can have like abandoned ukrainian settlement in the news this week ukrainian company autokraz has been awarded a three-year contract to supply the u.s army contracting command with 4x4 heavy-duty vehicles and the relevant spare parts. The vehicles ordered include personnel transports, flatbed trucks, and water and fuel tankers. The vehicles will potentially be made available to the US, its allies, or UN peacekeeping operations. The move to purchase Ukrainian military goods is a show of support for the country amid its ongoing conflict with Russia. On Thursday, the 20th of May, Ukraine and its diaspora celebrated the annual International Veshevanka Day. The holiday was originally created by Lysia Voronyuk, a student of the Faculty of History, Political Science and International Relations at the Yuri Fedorkovich Chernyutsi National University in 2006. Today, the holiday is celebrated around the world with many famous celebrities and politicians also taking part. 
Updating from last week's episode, Russia has released its official list of enemy countries, with only Czechia and the US making the final cut. Ukraine's Antonov has completed the manufacture of the major fuselage structure for the first of three advanced AN-178 military cargo aircraft. The aircraft are part of an order placed by the Ukrainian Air Force after the recent crash of an Antonov AN-26 transport plane near Kharkiv in late 2020. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UKLife Abroad content.